0: Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services or connect with us on Facebook. First, of all, I'm going to do two lessons today. The first one, I want to teach on the top five laws. I, uh, I did a book. It's a textbook. Uh, entitled Gutenberg to Google: The Twenty Indispensable Laws of Communication, and it's. Um, I'm grateful to say it's been used in uh, many different settings uh, globally, and I've enjoyed over the years uh, teaching on preaching and communication. Uh, it's been been my one of my greatest joys uh, to be involved in and, and preaching and teaching. And that's something we do as ministers a lot. And so we don't like doing something that we're not good at. Uh, For example, you're not going to get me on a set of ice skates. I'm I'm not going to try that. I'm not good at that. I would break my neck. Um, If we want to play baseball, okay, we'll play some ball. I'm I'm decent at that. Uh, But, you know, if you have to do it 50 weeks a year and you're not good at it and you're not growing and you're not maturing in it, you dread it every week. But if you have a growth map by which you can grow and mature in that calling, then it becomes a growing time and a joyful time because you know that maybe you started out here, but God is maturing you and helping you to grow forward. Does that make sense to you? And so I just want to highlight uh, five of them, and uh, there are 20, uh, but I just want to highlight five. Number one, fill the pulpit and expect God to fill the building. Let me tell you why I learned this. I learned this from Dr. James Brown who is now with the Lord. He was the uh, president of the Simmons God Theological Seminary, and he was a dear friend of mine. And, and Dr. Brown was a prince of preachers. And, um, and I would spend time with him when I was there at the seminary. And, by the way, the word seminary means seed bed. It doesn't mean weed bed. It means seed bed. And so seminary is a good word. And uh, a lot of seminaries have become liberal, and and instead of being a seed bed, they're a weed bed. And we, we need a lot of seed beds. Amen? And so I was out to lunch with Dr. Brown, and and I said, you know, I, I feel like the Lord's called me into ministry and and uh, to be a preacher, teacher of the Word of God. And, and we were at lunch having a good time, and he said to me, James, there are a lot of things you can be. There's a lot of things you can do. But you've got to fill the pulpit and expect God to fill the building. He said, in other words, you have to be ready. You have to be ready. You've got to be prayed up and prepared up. You've got to be ready. And one pastor, who's also now with the Lord, uh, said to me, and uh, when I was growing up, this one, I would have been maybe 16 years old, and I was asking him for some coaching in uh, preaching, and he said, Uh, James, you got to know your sermon cold. I said, know my sermon cold? I want to know my sermon hot. He said, no, you got to know your sermon cold. I said, why? His name was David Boykin. I said, why do I need to know my sermon cold? He said, there's coming a day when the car won't start, the battery's dead, there's coming a day that uh, you may be slowed down on your way to the church house, You don't have a chance to renew or review your notes at all. They're singing the song for the 15th time. You're on your way in. You walk right into the pulpit, and you've got to be ready to preach. He said, you got to know your sermon that well. I never forgot it. You know, people will forgive us for a lot of things, but they won't forgive us for not being ready. We can... We can have a list of excuses, but, 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 but I'm just telling you, they will not forgive us for not being ready. You know, there's a difference between a foul ball and a home run, it's called timing. You don't have to, you don't have, we don't have to hit a grand slam every Sunday, but we do have to hit the ball. People don't come to church to watch us hit foul balls. Oh, there goes another one. You know, and that's, and, and competition today and the mindset of our listeners is at an all-time high. The Internet has changed everything in that. And even in the midst of this pandemic with the growth of the Internet and things going online, just simply increase the level of that competitiveness. I realize that we don't want to talk about those kind of things. I'm talking about the, about the person listening to us. I'm not talking about... The church is competing with one another, seeing who can outdo the other. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying the audience, the people we're speaking to, the expectation level is higher than it's ever been. And if we don't know that, then we don't know our audience well enough. You know, the great apostle Paul would write to Timothy and toward the end of his life, and he was defining to Timothy what the man, what the man of God is to be like, and 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 how he or she are to live their life, and so he says, we're known by what we flee from. He says we're fleeing people; we're like fugitives of a sort. He says Timothy flees certain things. Uh, he, he says we're known by what we flee from. We're known by what we follow after. Paul would say to Timothy, Follow me as I follow. You know, we have bought in for many years now, the last 25 years or so, into the leadership motif. I I understand God wants us to help us to lead and others. I, I get all that. But even the great apostle Paul, when the leader of all leaders said, I follow, I ask you to follow. It's not so much about leadership as it is followership. And let me ask you a question. How well are you following the leader? The last time I checked, Jesus is still the leader of the church, not the pastor, but Jesus. You have to understand. I understand as a pastor, you've got to lead your congregation, but are you pointing people to Jesus? Are they, they, when they follow you, do they see how it is to follow Jesus? Uh, We are known by what we follow after. You know, when we were children, uh, the teacher would just say, please follow the leader. And you didn't have to know where the teacher was going, but you just needed to follow the teacher. And third, we're known by what we fight for. He said, fight the good fight of faith. You know, there's some things not worth fighting over. You know, some people are willing to fight by the time the handkerchief hits the floor. You can always tell the size of a person by how much it takes him or her to get upset. And some people in ministry get upset over little things. Like, really? Are you really bothered by that? Um, Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Um, You know, we're not fighting against the church down the street, Uh, we're fighting against the devil. We're fighting against evil in evil places. Um, Some people have their fight misdirected. We're known by what we're faithful to. He says, Timothy, you got to be faithful to the word of God, rightfully dividing it, studying it. Timothy, you've got to be ready. Uh, Stephen Olford used to teach me on preaching and Stephen was a wonderful man of God. By the word the name, Stephen means crowned. Um, Stephen was originally uh, from West Africa, grew up in Wales, moved to New York, pastored a great church there, started um, a, a preaching uh, opportunity for young men and women in Memphis, Tennessee. It was called the Stephen Overt School of Biblical Preaching, and he was an incredible saint. And one time I was sitting there in his uh, study in, uh, in Memphis, and, uh, and I noticed there was a small uh, altar rail there and a little cushion. And I said, uh, Stephen, what's that for? And he says, well, he says, I write my messages, and then I take them and I lay them on the altar, and I say to the Lord, Lord, here is my sacrifice for the week. Lord, turn this manuscript into a message. You know, ultimately, every message we preach is first of all preached to Jesus. And sometimes I wonder if he says, that's not what it means at all. Where did you get that in the text? Maybe you just had too much pizza the night before. You know, um, the story's told about a pastor finishing a message, gets in the car with his wife, and they're going out to lunch, and he says, uh, honey, how, how do you think the message went today? She said, well, I'm not sure how everybody felt, but there was a guy up there on the second row. He was in tears all morning, and he said, well, honey, that was my Herman Nunes teacher in school. I wonder sometimes when we bring the message, the Holy Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit says, that's not what it means at all. We have to rightly divide, not casually divide, not half, half, half rightly divide. And that is not easy work. And, and so we are to be faithful, faithful. You know, all of us in this room, myself included, if I was to go back and look at some of the old stuff, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I'd go, well, I don't believe like that today. <laughs> Right? We all have some of that stuff that hopefully never shows up ever again. Right? Uh, the Lord is faithful uh, to forgive us. Uh, but Paul says to Timothy, you got to be faithful to God's word. So fill the pulpit. Expect God to fill the building. Number two, the mind craves order, not chaos. That's the way God made us. I spent a lot of time Thinking. And uh, and I like reading books on thinking. You say, well, I thought we we're talking about preaching. Well, yeah, we are. But what are words? Words are an outward expression of the thoughts of a person. So if you don't have good thinking, you're not going to have good words. You're not going to have good structure. If your thinking's not growing, your preaching won't grow. So <laughs> it's important that I... Grow in my thoughts. Our thinking constitutes at least 50,000 thoughts a day. Now you know why you're so mentally tired. But how many of our thoughts are new thoughts? The essence of creativity is our ability to accommodate as many new thoughts as possible. Have you ever been around somebody that you know they're not growing because they're always talking about the same stuff? Or maybe it's been five years since you've seen so-and-so, and they're still talking about the same stuff. Because their thoughts got stuck. They're in a rut, and it's the same merry-go-round. It's the same thing. And, and the Lord wants us to grow in our thoughts. Because as we grow in our thinking and our creativity, our messages, our communication will grow as well. Uh, I encourage you to consider doing a mental download and maybe get a piece of paper and so it can becomes a little more tangible and begin to write down all the kinds of thoughts that you have, okay? And I recommend that you keep it private. I recommend that you don't post it because um, ministry credentials are important. Uh, and don't send it to a friend. And say, would you pray over this with me? You know, people don't treat email the same way they treat snail mail. They would never photocopy 10,000 letters and send them out. But they'd be glad to send it out by email to 10,000 people. And do a mental download. And then step back and say, wow, that's me. That is where I am right now, November 2020, we are the essence of our thoughts. Make a mental download. Our thoughts are vehicles taking us through life. In order for all of us in this room to have a successful journey, we have to take control of our thoughts. Now, that is not an easy assignment. Paul said to the church in Philippi, take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, I have a confession. I have not taken captive every thought yet. So I still have work to do. But notice what he says. Take captive to every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, if the Lord didn't expect us to be able to do it, he wouldn't put it in the scripture and command us to do it. Now, he didn't say some of the thoughts. He said every thought. And then he gives a list of what kind of thoughts. Think on this, think on this, think on this. Because once we learn to control our thoughts, we'll end up controlling so much many aspects of our life. We have to decide where we're going and what we want to become. Now, after you do a download, then do an upload. Write down the kind of thoughts that you need to cultivate in your life to get you where God wants you to go. Because you're at one place now, but now you're thinking about the future. And one thing about the mind that God gave, gave to us, that we can't think two thoughts at the same time. When, so when the old thought raises its ugly head, discipline yourself to replace it with that new thought. The mind is like a muscle. The brain is like a muscle, just like other muscles. The more we use it, the stronger it gets. We replace the old with the new, then come back six months, nine months later and pull out that old piece of paper, and you will see that where you used to be, you've made such great progress. And it impacts your family, your marriage, your children. You as a person, you'll sleep better at night. Your preaching will be better and clearer and cleaner because your thoughts are brighter and clearer. So the mind craves order, not chaos. Uh, When my wife and I and our girls, my two lovely daughters, and we travel, and we travel over a Sunday, like say on vacation, we visit uh, a church. um, I usually can tell whether or not the minister preaching spent much time getting ready. And and if there's no order or organization at all, um, I have a personal goal. By the time that sermon is over, I've written an outline, I have it all finished. That's a personal ambition of mine when I'm sitting there in the audience. Because I know that... The people crave order. I mean, think about it with me for a second. Let's say in Uniontown or Pittsburgh or whatever, it doesn't matter, we took all of the stop signs out and all the traffic lights out. Said so we're just going to be more flexible. People like order. Let's say we went out to the, you know, the Pittsburgh International Airport, and they decided They're not going to run on schedule. They're just going to cancel all the schedules, and when everybody finally shows up, the plane's going to go. You say, that's not a good way. No, people like order, not chaos. It doesn't matter where you live in this world. God created us like that. Number three, creativity is like giving birth to barbed wire, but somebody's got to do it. Creativity is hard work. It is. So there are some steps I go about it. Number one, create for the audience. Create for the audience. Uh, Imagination versus fantasy. How many of us have ever been to Disney World? Anybody? It's okay. I've been more than once. Uh, Any of us have been to Epcot Center? Epcot Center is an imaginative world. Disney World is a fantasy world. And the difference between fantasy and imagination is that fantasy is not true at all. You, it, it's, it's a never-never it's a world. Uh, it, Epcot Center, imagine this World, lets you step into new worlds. You can go into Germany and Swiss, Switzerland and France in an hour. And you see, as a communicator, we have to connect with the world where people are, and we have to bring them in. We have to bring them in to the new world. Creativity is a is a bridge between the ancient texts and the modern-day world. And it's our filter. And so if we don't have a good filter, uh, then we're not going to understand the old and we're not going to be able to apply it to the new. Too many speech teachers are teaching that speaking is a medium of words rather than a medium of sight and sound, which happens to use words. Warren Worsby says it like this in his book on imagination and quest for biblical preaching. Imagination is the imagining function of the mind. It is thinking by seeing as contrasted with reasoning. Imagination puts flesh and clothes on mere naked ideas. It makes the unknown known and the unseen seen. I'd recommend his book to you, by the way, uh, Warren Worsby, Imagination and the Quest for Biblical Preaching. I had him as a professor Uh, Last year, he went to uh, be with the the Lord. He wrote on every book of the Bible. He knew his Bible pretty good. And uh, he's an incredible uh, Bible expositor. And then after I create for the audience, I want to cluster for the audience. We move from the memorized to the organized. Now, I write all my messages out, but I don't memorize them. I organize them in my mind. If the praise and worship service goes 10 minutes longer than predicted and planned, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just saying, well, that won't happen. This won't happen. We won't say this. We won't say that. The person who's memorizing it and so glued to it, he or she gets very nervous because everything is so sequenced. There's not much flexibility at all. So we want to move from the memorized to the organized, The biblical text determines substance. The sermonizer determines structure. I learned that from Rick Warren. I had Rick as a professor uh, in preaching uh, a number of years ago. Biblical text determines substance. The sermonizer determines, or rather substance, and the sermonizer determines structure. In other words, I want to be true to the text, but the Lord allows me to use creativity in how I'm going to deliver that message to the audience. Number three, I want to compose for the audience. Now, when I'm writing a message out, and it's different between writing a book, um, when I'm writing a message out, I write for the ear and the eye, not just the eye, because a message is heard and seen. If you're writing a paper to turn it in, then you got to make sure everything is perfect in the syntax and structure of the sentences. But when you're communicating audibly, verbally, uh, as well as visually with some media, um, then you want to make sure it sounds well. You want to make sure that the when people are looking at you and listening, that it comes across uh, correctly. So... When I'm speaking, I will go up and down. I know that people's listening uh, uh, span of time uh, is about eight to nine minutes, and so you've got to give them some breather. If not, you're going to wear them out. Uh, and so, so I, I know that, so I'm going to work in my manuscript certain time frames when I know that maybe I've been very didactic for a while and I've taken them under the water, so I know that I've got to bring them back up and give them some air. Now, I'm going to baptize them again. We're not done yet, but, but I know that they they got to have some breather. I write for the ear, not just for the eye. I write for involvement, not just inspiration. I want people to get on the train when I get on, but I don't want them to get off before the train stops. So I want to get them involved. I want them in the message. But I, I don't want just to just try to inspire. I want to involve them. I want them to see how they fit in the new world that I'm trying to describe to them. And so it's important that we bring the elements together. Now, there are three questions that I will ask, and I have to answer before I feel like I'm ready to preach on Sunday. I've got to be able to answer the question, what's the point? What's the picture? What's the package? What's the point? What is it that this one thing I'm striving to communicate, and can I get that thing down to about 15 words or less? What is the point? If I don't understand the point, they're not going to get it either, okay? What's the point? What's the picture What's the picture? What because you see, people, all of us, when I use the word people, don't think of them, all of us, we think with pictures. That's the way God made us. And that's great because the greatest pictures in all the world are in the Bible. See, when we were when we were being trained earlier on, we were trained to try to interpret words, and words are important. But, you know, the Bible is made up of stories, not just words. The Bible is made up of pictures, not just stories and words. So it's one thing for us to be a wordsmith, but we also have to be an image smith. So I've got to be able to answer myself, what is the picture? What is the metaphor that, that I can use in that message? And then what's the package? What's the package? The message, for me personally, it's about the entire service. It's not just the 40 minutes that I'm sharing. I I like to know the flow of the service. I like to know what's coming up front, what's coming after, because it all fits in a person's mind when they come. I'm not a pastor. I don't think I will ever pastor. But I think that if I was to pastor, every service would not be the same for me. Um, I would would move things around in the schedule. The lowest form of communication is predictability. The lowest form of communication is predictability. When people can predict what's coming next every Sunday, oh, by the way, I don't need to be there for 15 minutes after. Why? Because they finish their singing at 15 after, and I'll slip right in. Nothing wrong with singing. But when it becomes predictable, people are not as engaged. Number four, the person's mind is a debating hall, not a debating hall, but a picture gallery. Not a debating hall, but a picture gallery. How do the majority of people learn? They learn by perceiving, right brain, and processing, the left brain. Word pictures connect both halves. So God made us with a perceiving and a processing. And, and so I don't want to just speak to one side of the brain of the person, the audience. I want to engage the whole uh, person. It's the speaker's responsibility to discover the images that connect those two. And, and we need to be careful about the images that we choose. So we need to make our presentation sharp. And I have an acronym Stories, humor, analogies, references and quotes, pictures and visual aids. And by the way, as it relates to references and quotes, be careful with that. Because when, when you choose a person, a quote of someone that nobody's ever heard of, and you got to spend four minutes explaining why this quote's so important, I recommend you get another quote. You understand what I'm saying to you? Uh, and you say, but that quote is so awesome. Yeah, but you don't have four hours to teach. You, you, you've got to get to the point really quick. Um, and let me say something about visual media material. Um, we need to be careful about what we bring in to the worship service. Uh, there's a pastor friend of mine down in uh, Alabama. One time he and I were chatting, and I said, would you tell me, you know, one of your most embarrassing moments? And we all have those, right? And um, I've got a few of those I could talk about. And uh, so he said, well, Let me tell you what my most embarrassing moment was. I said, Okay. He said, I had gone to my IT leader and I shared with him that I wanted to show about 20 second video clip. And I said to him, But please be sure to stop it at 20 seconds because there is, are some four letter words that come out next. Now, if you're basing your whole ministry on who's running the IT, you're, really, you're, really not, you're not a wise person. Now, I love IT. I thank God for the gentleman that's helping me. But before the service starts, I engage with the IT person. It may only be just for 30 seconds because he and I, are or he and she and I are going to work together in that service. And people believe more what they see than what they hear. So the visual aspect is 54% of the decision-making of the audience out there. 54% based upon what they see. 39% based upon just what they have, the tone, and the remaining percent are the actual words that we say. And we spend so much time trying to get the actual words together that we don't figure out how to tonally communicate it or visually to communicate it. And that's the difference between moving from a Gutenberg word to a, to a Google world. and And some people are really slow to make the shift, and some people... I'm never going to make the shift. But this guy uh, says, um, so I told, told the IT guy in about the 20 seconds, uh, he is supposed to stop it. And I said, he didn't, did he? He said, no. And uh, and all those words came out. And I said, the sermon was over, wasn't it? Yeah, it was over. I said, I don't care what's coming next. It's over. Um, but I never forgot the conversation. But whether we like it or not, ladies and gentlemen, here's reality. Well, now, let's talk leadership for a moment. I believe in the balanced Christian life. All of us believe the balanced Christian life. But if you want your people to be balanced, you're going to have to be further right. You're going to have to be over here so your people land here. If you're landing here, your people are landing here. Okay, that's, that's a leadership principle. Number, number two, when that gentleman chose that video clip, he framed for his entire audience what this pastor, what this minister is. He just reframed it all for them. Oh, that's what he likes. Oh, well, it must not be any big deal for the pastor likes that it must be big deal. Now, now am I a stick in the mud? I am not. but this is a worship service. This is not this is not a football game. It's not the Super Bowl. They can show that stuff at the Super Bowl if they want to, but that doesn't mean we do that in the house of God. Now, you have to understand now, you say, but there's so much good stuff out there. So when you're showing that 20-second clip of an R-rated film, what you're communicating is, this is the kind of stuff we listen to and watch in our house. Okay? Now, you have to understand where I'm coming from here. This, we are teach We are Men and women of God. Now I could I could beat this pony for a long time and I'm not going to. But but we we have gotten so inundated that we do not think long enough before we speak. Number five, the length of message is not determined by the clock by the, by the crowd. The length of message is not determined by the clock by the crowd. When the crowd says it's over, I don't care what's coming next, it's over. Let me tell you why I learned this principle. Um, are most of us uh, in the room part of the Assembly of God tribe? Most of part of the Assembly. Any other tribes? Okay, okay. Um, I was attending uh, our general council in Indianapolis, and this was um, nineteen ninety seven or nineteen ninety nine. way back there, prehistoric age, and um, and so it was. It was the Wednesday night service. There were 13,000, 12,000, 13,000 people in the room, and, and the service went long. Uh, I will never understand uh, why we take an hour and a half before we get the speaker up. I'll never understand it. And, um, and I'll never understand why we give out all the awards that take 40 minutes. I'll never understand it. Now, I think we ought to give honor to honors due. In the Global Church Network, we give honor to honors due. But why don't you just gather all the recipients as one group, take one great picture, and then put the picture up on the big screens, have everybody just walk out on stage. You've already said thank you. You've already given them their award. And have all the names there on this picture, uh, uh, the big picture, and have one great standing ovation. And you do that in five minutes instead of 35 to 40 minutes. It's just me now, okay? It's just me. And And so the lady that was speaking that evening, she gets to, she gets it at 8.20. She gets it at 8.20. And so it's home missions night. And we're, one of the goals is to highlight how many home missionaries we have and home churches we have and how many more missionaries we need, how many more churches we need in all 50 states. And, and then receive an offering at the end. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I think we should do more of that. Um, so she starts teaching and sharing at 8.20. 8.30 comes, 8.40 comes, and I see some people, and I'm sitting on the side of the, of, the, of the arena about halfway up, not in the back, not on the floor, but on the side, and I see some people getting up and leaving. And I thought, okay, it's no big deal. Then I see 50 get up at once. I thought, wow, and then 50 more, then 100 more. And I'm thinking, well, this is what's going on? And I'm saying, does she not see the people who are stirring? You know I watch the audience and people stirring and 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 I'm thinking, no, she can't see that because the lights sometimes in these arenas are very so bright, you can't see twenty feet out front. it's so bright, and I'm thinking she just can't see it and another fifty, another twenty, another hundred, and they' just getting up and leaving and um, And she's going through this now. Now, when you get to 9 o'clock in America, you've got to be really good. There's not 5% of the speakers in America that can keep the audience after 9 o'clock. Because mindset changes. People are starting to think, this is the end of the world. Uh, Tribulation has begun. Uh, Am I going to starve to death sitting here? I mean... Man, I need to go to the bathroom. When is she gonna get done? People's mindsets, all the things are changing. Okay? It's nine o'clock. Another hundred leave, another fifty leave, another hundred leave. And people are streaming out. she's still going. And finally, she says, now I want to highlight for you all 50 states. I said to my wife, she did not, she did not say that. She said, Alaska has this many, and this is how many we need. I said, honey, she is gonna go through all. 50 states, Arkansas, Alabama. And I'm going, there's 50 more, there's 100 more. My wife says, let's go. I said, no, honey, I'm not leaving. She said, why? I said, I want to see how this turns out. I said, I said this is quite amazing. 50 more here, 100 more there. People to stream it out. Now, what she could have done is she could have put up a graph all 50 states on one graph, this is how many we have. Next graph, this is how many we need. And next graph, this is our third, Our goal. It would have taken five minutes. No, she turns the pages after each state. And she, she kept going until 940. Now, when she finished, there was less than 1,000 people in that room. Less than a 1,000. And I thought, wow, what a disaster. And then our general superintendent gets up and says, let's take an offering. I said, he did not say that. He did not say that tonight. He said, get the ushers. Now, how would you like to be an usher? You get him over there. You see that guy up there? And I'll get that guy right over there. How would you like to be an usher? And I see the ushers making their way through the auditorium. And he says, where are the home missionaries? Line them up on the stage. How would you like to have that offering that night? We got out after 10 o'clock at night, and I said, Lord, what can I learn from this? The length of a message is not determined by the clock, but by the crowd. When I'm speaking, I don't move around a lot, and Pastor Jason can tell you. I don't. I kind of stay. But if I have a sense that the audience maybe not on the train anymore, What I'll do is I'll move over to walk over to the right or to the left, and far enough away from where I've been standing that heads have to turn to follow me. Now, if heads are still over here and I'm over here, I know we got to get we got to get off this plane. We we got to get done really quick. But if that audience moves with me, I know I have a little bit of time left because they're still engaged. We've all heard sermons that went too long. We've all heard sermons that were too short. We've all heard people who had style and no substance, and we've heard people who have substance and no style. It takes two wings to fly. You've got to have style, and you got to have substance. You've got to have something to say, and you've got to have a way to say it. And when we don't have that, the expectation level is extremely high among the people that we are called to preach to. And I want to challenge us in our opening session, let's do the best we can with the word of God and the people of God that the Lord has given to us. Okay, any questions? We've just went through. All we did was kind of go across the top of the Himalaya Mountains is all we've done here. And but any questions? Let's take a few minutes for uh, some questions before I teach on on something else today. Any questions about preaching communication? Anything at all? Yes, Jason. Yes. Thanks. How long does it take to prepare? I think that the the, the text will determine that because there are some passages that are harder than other passages. There's some that we have preached around or through before, and there's some we've not been to before, okay? And so I think that that's the first measurement stick for me. Um, and then I'm thinking the creative side, the, uh, you know, what's the visual? Sometimes things click really fast for me, and then there's some I really have to spend some time thinking, Then what is the best way visually to communicate this text? And so I think that the length of it is different for different messages, for, at least that's for me. Does, does that make sense to you? Okay. Another, another question, please. Any questions? Yes, sir? Yeah, I think yeah, I think sometimes we have to say, you know, some stuff's not going to make it in, and that's sometimes you know it's hard. Because we love all the, the passages, right? But there comes a time that sometimes we have to sort through some of that, moving from good to best. Now, for me, I, I, I preach um, expository. so I, I'll preach through a, a paragraph or a, or a passage, and so majority of my scriptures that I'm using are all right there in that passage. Now, sometimes uh, if I'm wanting to highlight a particular, let's say, contemporary theme, um, I may use a number of passages, but I probably won't exhaust the Scripture and every passage that maybe reflects on that, but I'm just getting the, the main ones. because Unless I'm going to turn it into a series, you know, and go five or six or seven weeks in it, that's a different, that's a different strategy altogether. Uh, but if I'm unpacking it all in, in one message, then some of the scriptures I may not be able to bring into that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, great. Another question? Any other questions? Yep. Hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. got it. Yes, yes. That's great. Yep. Well, no, no, don't say that. (laughs) Don't speak that prophecy over it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, I would read a little tiny book entitled How to Present Like a Pro. That's the exact title of it. It was written a number of years ago, but she, I think it was Lonnie, L-A-N-I, but you'll find it, How to Present Like a Pro, and this is a secular book, and, but it's about the creativity and how to present. Um, when I was growing up, it was, we used the term preaching. Now, I still use the term preaching, but oftentimes today, we use the word presentation. OK, I'm bringing a presentation and sometimes people misunderstand and say, well, no, I guess I don't have to be called to preach and all that stuff. That's not, not the point. But when you use the word presentation, I'm presenting something. I'm not just speaking something. So I'm bringing in different aspects. Um, and, you know, until about um, 14 or 15 years ago at the most, I wasn't even using any media at all. Um, but I knew that I needed to make another shift. And I did, and I've made a number of shifts in my style over my preaching time. And because, you know, life changes, audience changes. But, but how to present like a pro would be very good. The, the book I mentioned by Warren Worsby, um, you know, the, the, the quest for biblical preaching, you know, imagination and the quest for biblical preaching, he, he's talking about the imaginative world and the creativity. Now, he gets pretty uh, didactical about some of the exposition, which is great. Um, but he, I, I was in his class when he was teaching that entire course, and I find found that course to be great help to me. Okay, yep. Another question. Yes, sir. Good to see you, man. Can you give me an example of a pigeonhole phrase? Okay. 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 Wow. Um, I don't know that I've got all that figured out. Um, unpack and lean in. Um, we'll probably, Let me invite you. Let me invite you uh, into a new world. And probably an invitation would probably be a way. Um, that people would like to be a part of something greater than themselves. Um, so, but also, I think the way we position the the, the message also has a lot to say. Um, you know, um, a lot of churches they have a, a format that they follow every Sunday, and I think I would move it around a little bit. Okay, and I because it it, it causes a spontaneity. Um, in 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 people, like wow, this is what what this is this is not this is not like we've been doing it, and what's what's coming next? Um, let me give you another example. Um, you know, we th- thank God for world missions, right? And thank God for technology and internet and Zoom. You know, it's interesting. Uh, before the pandemic, you heard Skype. Today, you hear Zoom. Okay, uh, Zoom made six billion dollars this year. Zoom prays for another pandemic, okay? Um, and, and Skype just got wiped off the map in a matter of eight months. Uh, I'm not a pastor, but if I was one, uh, one each month, um, you know, there's 12 months in the year, there's 12 regions of the world, correct? So 12 regions of the world, 12 months of the year. I would feature on Mission Sunday uh, a different region of the world, and I would take my people around the world every year because our people don't know the world. Most people can't even name where New York City is, okay? Our people don't know the world. The people you're preaching to every Sunday, they do not have a global context. They, they really don't. Um, so I would feature a different region of the world every, every month, and I would either do it live for five minutes or I would ask one of the missionaries that we're supporting to prepare something for five minutes from the location, but give them the two, like two questions to answer weeks in advance because you don't want something lame. You don't want somebody to say, well, you know, I got up today thinking about it. No, no, no. You want them to really think about it because you're giving them five minutes of all your people and highlighting what, what, what's going on and where I live what are the top two or three needs so we can intelligently pray? And then I would take that video, whether it be live or, or pre-taped, and I would take that five to seven minutes, and then I would put it on my church's website. And, and after a year, you've got 12 video vision vignettes. After two years, you have 24. After three years, you have 36. Then you are parking content on your website that nobody else has in the whole world. And you're asking you're the question, why should you visit our church? Because we are, let me tell you, we know what's going on in the world. And, and over time, you would educate your people to become global-minded, global in their prayers, global in their thinking. Um, and, and that would be an aspect of leveraging uh, the creativity that's very affordable and, uh, and is really very simple to do. Uh, One more question on on preaching or teaching, and then I want to teach something else, and I know we have lunch coming up. Uh, Any other questions? Teaching, anything? Yep. Yes. 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 I think that um, there are certain things we really should address. And so we may be in a series, uh, but airplanes hit the trade towers. And we need to stop, and we need to address it. Um, and so when I think that there are huge events and we don't address them, the audience thinks, man, he or she, they're, they're just not in the know, are they? You know, they just don't know what happened. You know, Iran just you know shot off a nuclear bomb, you know. And, and the point is, yes, I think you need to address it because uh, when, when you address it biblically and do a teaching on it, then people are, have greater confidence not only in the in the preacher, but also greater confidence that God's still in control. Okay, not to address it, I, I, I think causes problems. So I think we should. Yeah, um, I I'd like to teach something that um, I just finished uh, just recently, and I do my writings on the on the long my long trips, and and so I, I've released a book a few months ago entitled "The Winning Qualities of High Impact Leaders," and. And it's all on the, the book of Nehemiah. It's a complete uh, verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Nehemiah, something I've been wanting to do for, for many, many years. And, uh, and, and I just want to address uh, just one, one piece of this, and it's what I call the six-fold strategy um, for success. And I'm going to ask somebody, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you could read a few verses for me. Uh, it's uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter 2, Verses 11 through 20. If somebody could read those verses uh, for me, I would appreciate it. Who would like to do that? Nehemiah. It's Old Testament, by the way. Um, Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, verse number 11 uh, verse through verse 20. Can somebody read that for me? Would somebody like to do that? Somebody just step up to the plate hit the ball. 11 through 20, Jason. Thank you. city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, You know very well that tr- the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and Wall, but you have no share in legal or Thank you very much, Jason. Um, when I use the word success, it's used a lot, and so I want to frame it. For me, success means finding God's will, following God's will, finishing God's will. Find it, follow it, finish it. So that's success for me. So we don't measure success the way the world measures success. And there are some people, many people, that will be extremely successful in finding, finishing, following, or following and finishing God's will. We'll never read about them. We'll never hear about them. But they were successful in what God had called them to do. And we all, all of us no doubt, love Nehemiah and his approach. And so when I was pondering, you know, the book, I, I thought about, you know, rebuilding the walls of wisdom, wealth, our walk, etc. And you know, when you go to the Holy Land, you see the the ancient wall that is there, the uh, the Wailing Wall. That's part of the wall that Nehemiah built. And, um, and so we oftentimes talk about legacy. Um, legacy. The first word is leg. Legs. Legacy. We want to live a life that has legs, and because. We all, all of us, God has put something in our heart. And so I just want to pull out some, some principles that will, that will work. Uh, it will work in our family, work in, in our ministry, work in our personal life or our public life. Number one, practice our refocus. This is so important. I, um, I wear contact lenses, but I wear glasses. And those of us who wear glasses, Mine is 8.3. That tells you the strength of my glasses. And on this beautiful sunny day, I could take my glasses and I could refract the light and melt steel. That's how strong my glasses are. But when I take them off, I'm not focused. When I put them on, I'm focused. We have to practice our refocus. What does he do? He, he, He rides alone looking at all the debris. He rides along looking at all the things that have been burned and all the the terribleness. He feels the reproach. He he refocuses exactly what the goal is, what the mission is. And, And from time to time, we need to back up, slow down, and we need to refocus. Because we can't be everywhere and we can't do everything. And life is trade-off. And the older we get, the leaner and lighter we need to be. Um, I brought my suitcase with me today on purpose. And um, I want you to see what I traveled in for this weekend. This is it. This is all I brought with me. I want you to see this right here. That's it. I haven't been to a carousel to pick up bags since 2000. I know the ladies are amazed at this. I can promise you right now that the ladies view this differently than the gentlemen. Trust me, they do. They're thinking, my shoes are not going in there. I haven't been to a carousel to pick up my bags since 2003. I don't have time for the carousels. I I would be at the carousel hundreds of times every year. 30 minutes a pop. You do your math on that for a minute. I spend I would spend about two weeks of my life every year standing at a carousel. Now if you walked out there and you stood saw a guy for two weeks standing out there at the airport doing, you think, Well, man, there's something wrong with that guy, man. There's something wrong. So I don't have I don't have time for that. So as I've gotten low, a little older, I'm 59. Um, I have gotten leaner and lighter because I've got to stay focused on what really matters. <laughs> Last year, I was I was catching a flight to Dubai out of Orlando, and um, and I saw a guy walk up to the counter with nine big bags of luggage. And I saw his wife and his children. And I I didn't burst out laughing, but I almost did. And then he was complaining because Emirates was going to charge him for his bags. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm thinking, what do you have in there, a sofa? Uh, A dishwasher? What do you got? And I'm looking at all that. I'm just, I'm just amazed uh, how people travel. And I realize everybody else in this room travels light. I understand that. But um, I was just amazed at it. Um, you know, my wife homeschools. I, I'm going to stay on this just for a minute. My wife homeschools our children. And um, we have two amazing daughters and that we adopted from uh, mainland China. And in the 1990s, we, we laid to rest two children, one in 91, one in 98. And then we adopted two amazing girls from, from China. And, um, and so uh, we were going to go to Europe five years ago, launching a hub in Amsterdam for the network. And so I pulled my, my family together, my two, my two daughters and my wife. And I said, Now, I just want to remind everybody something. And I said, we're get, we're, In June, we're going to go to Amsterdam. We're going to take in the other countries around and be gone for two weeks. And I said, um, Dad, doesn't check bags. I said, I don't care what, you, I don't, it doesn't matter to me how many bags you bring. It doesn't matter to me. I just want you to know for me, dad doesn't check bags. Secondly, you need to understand dad is not the donkey. You need to understand that. Dad's not the mule. Dad's not the mule. And, but daddy doesn't check bags. And I said, so just need to understand. And now the key to this is you got to give a three month notice. You got to give a three month notice. And uh, because people need to sort through the weight of that, and I said, I said, um, we're going to be on a number of trains, and I said, people won't be hauling your bags, because it's not like an airplane, so, you know, when you're going to go out to car number 42, just remember now, remember, dad's not checking bags, and dad's not the donkey, so it's amazing, my entire family, we had backpacks, we had, I have another bag that goes up to this high, and uh, it's what they call a suitor bag, and a a computer bag and we traveled for two weeks didn't check a bag it was amazing absolutely incredible and uh, now when we travel together we're the bagless family I mean we don't check bags at all once you go and live that kind of lifestyle you won't go back to the other because there's a freedom what comes on the plane comes off with me I don't have to wonder if the bags are not gonna make my flight because I have a close connection I don't have to wonder about that. My bag's right there. And uh, and there's such a freedom and a luxury that comes to that. So I get clothes cleaned along the way at the hotel. No big deal. You say, well, you have to make wear things more than once. So what? I don't get paid more if I have five pairs of trousers versus two pair. So it's not based upon the money. And so I just decided as I get older, Get leaner and lighter. And we have to focus. What is Nehemiah doing? He is focusing on the seriousness of the matter. He he recognizes what the mission is and what God's calling is upon his life. He says, and I didn't tell anybody what God had put in my heart. Has God put something in your heart? Is there something down deep inside that God has put there? Start there for the remaining years of your life. Figure out what God has put there and what his his calling is upon your life. Um, He doesn't want us to be a wandering generality. He doesn't want us to dabble in a 100 things. Paul said, this one thing I do, this one thing. You know, when we're younger, we think about 20 things or 15 things, but it's this one thing. We want to do. Number two, pursue our research. Pursue our research. So as he's going through and he's pondering what God's put in his heart, he's looking at everything that's around because he's got to measure the size of this task. Um, I believe in faith like every one of us in this room, but I also believe in a yardstick. I also believe in a bank account. I also believe we have to measure the task, we have to pursue our research. Um, I tell my two daughters, when you're in a group with other young people, be slow to speak. Everybody will think you're extremely intelligent. You know, the proverb writer said, the fool is known by the multitude of his words. And if we find ourselves... The smartest, being the smartest person in the room, we need to get into some new rooms. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want to spend a lot of time with eagles who are flowing higher than me. And I want to ask a lot of questions of people. Um, You know, and when we're going to spend time with somebody, think a little ahead of time, the question you may want to ask him or her. You know, when we were launching the network, we'd have people come down and be with Dr. Bright in his home. And there would be guys sitting around his breakfast table and the questions like, How's the weather been in Orlando? Really? You with Bill Bright? That's the best you can do today. Who cares about the weather? Whether it's raining or cold or sunshining? Let's let's talk, let's get up higher than that. Pursue our research. You know. We're to study ourselves to death, pray ourselves back to life again. There's a radical balance attached to it. Um, He's not sugarcoating it when he's riding around, looking at all the gates and the walls. He's really doing his homework. Um, I have an acrostic that I have used for years to help me with this. Uh, It's out of the word goals. G, gather the facts. Gather the facts. O, organize a plan. Organize a plan. A, act on the plan. Act on the plan. L, look back and review. S, set new goals. So gather the facts. Do a lot of homework. We can dress like we're intelligent, but when we open up our mouth, everybody will know. Gather the facts. You can't organize what you don't know. Organize a plan. And in that plan, there needs to be time, there needs to be targets, and there needs to be transitions. Time. When you and I are doing something we've not done before, it's going to take us longer to do it than we think it's going to take. Because we've never done it before. It's like when we're going to a a town or a city or a specific spot. First time, we're paying really careful attention. Every curve, every light, every corner, we're trying to make sure we get there. But after we've been there a few times, we're not talking on the phone. We're doing something else because we've been there. But life is lived forward. Old maps will not work in new land. Thank God for the maps that have worked so far. But as we move forward, we may have to adopt some new maps. We had Missouri maps before we moved to Florida. But I could have said, praise God, these maps work in Florida. I could have anointed them. I could have prayed over them all day long. God would have said, man, something wrong with you, son. But I had to let go of that old map. Got to get some time sequences. But build in 20 to 30% more because it's going to take you longer than you think it's going to take. And then targets, targets. You know, some people like to shoot the arrow and then move the target accordingly. you got to set some targets because once your mind is on this, you're going in the direction of your most dominating thought. When I was coming here today, there was a truck that pulled out, and there was, it said, uh, trainer driving. I thought, oh, trainer driving. And he was going really slow. And we are going along the road and finally make the turn here to get on the road that comes here to the church. And it, 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 I, I realized I'm still going to Faith Assembly. It may take me a little longer. This is not expected planning, but I've still got my mind focused on what my destination is. Sometimes people die. Sometimes funerals happen. Sometimes planes are canceled. Sometimes somebody just fails and flops and flunders, and you have to let them go. Things happen. So, so so we stay keep our mind on the target. We still know where we're going. Transition. Life is lived in transition. You don't want to just come up to the ebb and not have know how to go to the flow. You, you, you keep building bridges, building bridges. And then you act on the plan. Um, usually it comes down to do, do, do I have confidence in my plan? Before I leap. Uh, that's one aspect. Another aspect is do I have the provision for the vision? And so if we're not careful, what we do is we, we vacillate. We go back and forth. We start, stop, start, stop. No, I wait another year. When I used to live in Springfield, Missouri, uh, that's Mecca for the Assemblies of God. That's the, that's the holy city. And, um, and I and I would uh, serve for 13 years at the Vatican. There, I enjoyed my time at the Vatican. Um, and when they when they used to send those big uh, so space shuttles out out of Cape Canaveral, I live about 30 minutes from Cape Canaveral. And those uh, those those astronauts get on up there, and, and one would say, "What's that glow over there in Missouri? Oh, that's spring from Missouri. That's that's where the assembly got headquarters." And and so I, I really enjoyed my time there. But we had a downstairs in our home, and that's where I had my study and my desk and stuff, and I'd work there and write there. And one night, I remember very clearly, I was complaining to the Lord. I mean, I was upset. And I realized I'm the only one that's ever complained to the Lord in this room. But I was, I was really upset. And I was saying things like this, Lord, I know you've called me to... To the ministry, to the preaching task, to serve in the body of Christ. I know you've called me, but it seems like there's just never enough money to get the ministry done. I realize you've got gold in your bank. Okay, I realize that. Uh, but I was I was complaining. I, I was saying, Lord, I know you've called me this assignment. I know this is a task that you've called me to. But it seems like there's just never enough money to do the ministry that you called me to. And the Lord whispered back to me. I'll never forget it. I smile because it was an eye-opening experience for me. The Lord whispered to me and he said, people with vision never have enough money. People with vision never have enough money. And then he said, and people who don't have vision don't need much money. That really helped me because as fellow ministers, there is this tension between vision and provision. But how fast we go, that's what the issue is. How fast do we go? We don't want to get too far ahead of the provision. We don't want to be presumptive on the Lord. But at the same time, we don't want to just stand still because life doesn't wait for anyone. And so there's this tension and so if you're waiting until everything is in order before you act on the plan, that's not a good plan for your life. Then L, look back and review. That's where we assess. This was good. This was bad. Compliment him. Shoot her. This is where we assess. James Dobson said life is lived forward but learn backward. There's wisdom in that statement. We learn saying this is really good. We're going to build on that. We tried that, that tire blew out. We're not going to do that again. S, set new goals. We have to pursue our research. Number three, prepare our relationships. If we're going to do something grand, we're not going to do it alone. You're not going to bench press 400 pounds by yourself. You say, what does that mean? Well, we we have the world to deal with. We're not just called, ladies and gentlemen, just to win our community. We're called to win the world. You know, any vision that's less than everyone is not a God-sized vision. Jesus Christ died on a cross for everyone. The Bible says in Revelation that every tongue, tribe, and nation, not some tribes, but every tongue, tribe, and nation, Will stand in the throne of God. Wow, what a statement! Are you about the every? Are you just about some? We are to be the every people, and in order to do the every one, we had to prepare our relationships. Notice what Nehemiah did. He brought some of his buddies with him. He wanted them to get exposed to what he was called to do. Do you invite people into your circle of love? How big is your circle of love? I would not exchange today, ladies and gentlemen, for all the wealth of the world, the relationships that I have in the body of Christ. I mean that sincerely. I thank God for my friends. Sometimes people say to me, they'll say, James, I sure like to build a network like y'all have. And the net, God has grown the network. I tell people to set and work, in the second word and network is work. And just because you call something a network doesn't mean you've changed anything. You may have a new name, but it doesn't mean you've got a network that works. It doesn't mean you've changed anything organizationally or relationally. You've just got a new name. And, and so as we were building the network, and still to this day, I could not tell you how many flights I've taken to Pacific places in the world, just to go see a man or a woman for two hours, and turn back around and fly all the way back home. I can't tell you how many times. You said that seems pretty, pretty odd. Relationship is everything. If you want to have great relationships, you got to respect those relationships. Without respect, there won't be much of a relationship. And the best way to show your, how much you respect somebody is by going to them, spending time with them. What did Nehemiah do? He prepared his relationships. He he brought men in, into his circle of love. He let them understand the vastness and the hugeness of this task. You know, there I'm sure there are people who you know, by the way, just because someone dislikes you doesn't mean you have to dislike them. Did you know that? I, I learned that a long time ago. A person can have a bad attitude toward me doesn't mean I'm going to have a bad attitude toward them. Because, you know, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to make a friend out of them. And it's so important that we prepare a relationship. Relationship currency. How much relationship currency do you have? How, if you were to sit down and put a dollar value to your relationships, what would that value be? You know, in the world, people trade currencies. And so, for example, we talk about the Chinese currency and the manipulation of that currency. And that's true. It is. And why that's so important is because we are trading between the two countries, our dollar and their one. Okay? So... It's important. So people trade currency. I'm trading on a relationship here today. Pastor Bunny, Pastor Jason have allowed me to trade on their relationship currency today. This is valuable. So therefore I, c- I, can't, I can't manipulate that currency. I- I've to come I've got to come and add value to it. See relationship currency, in the kingdom of God, is everything. Because once you learn how to cultivate relationship currency and steward relationship currency, then you can build relationship capital. That's when you've got character. You've got story together. You've got people that know one another. So well, they know the names of their children, they know birthdays, they they 're they're, they're involved in this mission together i wouldn 't trade that for anything else in the world that 's what nehemiah 's doing he 's bringing these guys into his world, and they 're looking, "Wow, you told me it was bad i didn 't realize it was this bad. You told me we had a huge task. Wow Nehemiah, we sure do. And they started building the core of a team right there in the middle of the night. we got to prepare our relationships. Number four, provide our renewal. Provide our renewal. Do you have a place where you renew yourself? Do you have a way that you renew your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit, your body? Do you have a place of renewal? He says to his his friends, he, he says, God is with us. And not only he says, is God with us? He said, but the king is for us. He says, God is with us, and the king is for us. And what did he pour? What did he pour into his, into his close friends? And, and not only did he pour it into his, his friends, but it was something that was already in him. He had God's favor. He had God's fortitude, and he had God's funding. Let me tell you what you need. You need favor, fortitude, funding. When favor's high, labor's low. When favor's low, labor's high. If we're going to build something grand, we need God's favor upon our life. Got to have it. When I come over to the hotel, for example, I, oh, the hotel's staying here in Uniontown, for I walked in, I was walking across the, pull, pulling this bag, pulling this bag, across the, Parking lot, I was praying, Lord, let your favor rest upon me and whoever I talk to on the other side of that desk. See, are you really praying now? I sure am because I want a good room. I don't want to be next to the most noisy people in the hotel. I don't want to be next to the elevator. I don't want to hear the ice maker at 3 a.m. in the morning. Now, that's life for you. That's fine, but that's not life for me. And so I'm praying, God, let Your favor rest upon me. So I walked in this nice lady working. I said, "Hey, it's great to be with you uh, t- today." And she said, "It's great to have you." I said, what kind, "What kind of what kind of room can I? Do you think I can get tonight?" She said, "We've got you in a king suite here." I said, "We really do a king suite." I said, "That's really nice. you do that." I said, "Where is it located?" She said, "It's down at the end of the hall." I said, "That's the best place." down the end of the hall. I said, is it facing the road or away from the road? See, so when you travel a lot, you know the questions to ask, right? I mean, I mean, if the train track's on one side, you want to be on the other side, right? You don't want to be next to the train track. And she said, oh, we got you in the quiet area. I said, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. When I was, uh, I told Pastor uh, Jason this, um, you know, I rent a lot of cars and, uh, because I travel a lot. And, and I, I go out to the car a lot, and, and I never know what I'm going to get. Uh, and sometimes it's a car with 60,000 miles on it Sometimes it's a car that has 300 miles on it Sometimes it could be this kind of car or that kind of car So I'm walking, I'm pulling my little bag and I said, Lord, you know uh, uh, Please help me to get a good car today And I was out at the Pittsburgh airport And I walked out there And uh, I can't believe the car they gave me They they said, this, this is your car and I said, really, this is my car? And you'll see it out there It's a white BMW They gave me a white BMW Same price, same rate But you know what? I'll just take the white BMW. I said that's fine, that's good. And when the pandemic was going on, you know, pandemics have privileges. You know that, right? Pandemics have privileges. When I was going out to Orlando airport, there wasn't anybody out there. I just, wow, five people. And I went went right through the TSA line in 15 seconds. I had a tram out to the concourse by myself. I said, this is incredible. I said, I walked down that concourse. That wasn't a soul around. I got on a 757. There were only seven people on the plane. I said, man, a private jet, flight attendants, pilots. Man, pandemics have their privileges. I said, then I flew into Harrisburg. I was going to be with your dad. I flew into Harrisburg. I went out to the Hertz car rental. I said, sir, I said, how's business? All business not been good. I said, what kind of car I can I have? He said, we have three Cadillacs. Which one would you like? I said, wow, do you have a blue one? He said, we do. I said, that's great. I went out to the hotel. I said, ma'am. I said, how many staying here tonight? She said, you're the only one. I said, really? I'm the only one in the hotel? I said, now I get an entire hotel before I used to just get a room. You know? Pandemics have their privileges. Find a place to renew yourself. Laughter is like medicine. You know, find that place. I I like walking by the water, by the ocean. Some people love mountains. I love mountains, but if I had to choose, I'd rather walk by the water. I live 12 minutes from the ocean. I live 45 minutes from the airport. My friends say to me, You got wow, forty-five minute drive to the airport. I said, No, I've got a twelve minute ride to the ocean. Life is trade-off. You need favor, you need fortitude, and you need funding. And the king said, You got it all. And I want you to know in God's heart and God's mind, you got it all. Don't let anybody tell you you don't have it all. God, God didn't call you to starve you. God didn't call you to lack, not have enough friends to help you to fulfill what's in God's heart. And you got to step out, renew your mind and your heart and your spirit. Because if you don't do that, you'll get worn out with the cares of ministry. Number five, plan for resistance. If you're going to build something great, somebody's not going to like it. And you know the story of Nehemiah? There were these guys. They were like gnats. And they were just always negative, negative, negative. Just always saying, it's not going to work. That wall won't stand up. Who do you think you are? You must be a rebel to the king. See, the problem is they knew who the king was. Nehemiah knew the king personally. See, he had a relationship with the king. These other guys, these gnats, they, they just know about the king. They know about his wealth, but Nehemiah knows how much the wealth is. So they say, well, you're, you're, you're probably the king doesn't even know. You're probably re, <laughs> rebellious in, before the king. Oh, you know, when you decide that you're going to build a new building, somebody's not going to like it. It's true. Somebody's gonna say, I'll oh, just keep what we got. You decide you want to expand the parking lot, somebody's gonna say that's a waste of money. Somebody says that you want to start networking with different pastors of different streams of Christianity, and somebody will call you a compromiser. How can you, as a Pentecostal, break bread with a non-Pentecostal? I've heard all that stuff. That stuff nauseates me. Spiritual pride. It's terrible. It's terrible. I, I could chase that for a while, but I'm not going to do that. But when you decide you're going to do something great, you want to reach your city, somebody's going to say, well, we're not taking care of our children enough in the, in the daycare yet. And then once we get that done, Pastor, then we can take care of the city. There's always going to be some gnat. There's always going to be somebody to tell you the wall's not going to work, the bricks won't fit, the money will run out. And you, we're going to have to make a decision who we're we going to listen to and who we're we going to believe. I love what Nehemiah says later. You know the famous story. He says, I'm just too busy. Get up here and I'll hand you a brick. I'm just doing something so important. I just don't have time to come down and talk with you. Are you easily distracted when opposition comes? You say, Well, I got that email that really bothers me. Yeah. I've gotten a few myself. What are you going to do with that email? I told the church this on Sunday morning. What are you going to do with that email? You got that email that makes your hair stand out or fall out. What are you going to do with it? He said, but they're so wrong. I said, well, they probably are wrong. But what are you going to do with it? You going to set the record straight? You know, the Chinese have an old proverb, before you set out on revenge, dig two graves. So what? what, what's, what are you going to do? You say, well, it's just offensive. Well, I learned a long time ago, don't write something when you're upset. Don't do that. Don't write when you're angry because you're going to look back and go, man, that tone wasn't good. Years ago, when we lost our second child, our son, uh, James Paul William, when I had a son named James also, and uh, he lived for a day in the in the hospital my wife held him while he died and um and in missouri you you have an option when a child passes you can um, take your child if you want to to the funeral home it's an option and so my wife and i talked about it i'm telling this story to illustrate how you respond to resistance and um and so I, uh, I said, okay, honey, if you feel like you'd like to do that, okay. So our son passes away the next day, which is uh, February um, um, 15th. And, um, and so the next day, or later that day, uh, I pulled the car around. It was a cold, cold, cold day in Missouri. Pulled the car around. My wife comes, and she gets in the, she gets in the car. And, and in my, our minds, we're thinking, well, they probably have our son wrapped up in a number of blankets. But that's, that, that's not what's going to happen. Uh, they bring our son out in a blue uh, Rubbermaid container and drop him on my wife's lap. They close the door. I watch my wife as she opens the lid, reaches in, Pulls our son out and holds him, and we're both bawling our eyes out. And I drive her to the funeral home. She gets up, and she you know just had delivered the baby the the, the, the night before. She gets out, she goes in. She says, I, "I think I want that casket." I said, "Okay." And and then the next day, we have a burial with some, with some friends. I wanted to write a letter to the president of the hospital and let him have it, but good. But I waited six months to write that letter. And I wrote him and I explained to him that it wasn't communicated to us how we would travel with our son. So naturally, we thought that our child would be in some nicely warm blankets and we would take him. But we understand that the Missouri law requires that the corpse, the deceased, be in a container. I understand that. However, your team at your, at your hospital failed to communicate that to us. And I said, I, I, I'm sure they didn't mean to, but it is a serious blind spot that you have. And I went through it very carefully, not argumentatively. And days later, I get a letter from the president. Saying, I am so sorry. Oh, I, I can't believe we did that to you. And it went on and on and on about it. But if I had written a nasty, angry, bitter, resentful letter the day after we had the burial, you know what the president was saying? You look at that. You know, we probably did something wrong. But look at the tone of that letter. Because he lost his child, and that's why he's so bitter. It's probably not so bad after all. Don't write letters when you're angry. Back up. Settle down. Pray over it. And then if you get, you know, you know, you got some gnats flying around, and you got some critics and cynics writing you, that brick's not gonna fit, and that wall's gonna fall down. That's not gonna happen. Be careful before you start writing them because as soon as you write a critic or a cynic, you're going to get an email back and say, but pastor, you didn't understand. You didn't think about this and what about that? And then now you're going to write another letter and straighten that out. And then he's going to write you back again and say, by the way, you know, there's something else that's been bothering me for a while. And before long, you have spent days and days off the wall with Tobiah and the other boys. And they're not out for your good. I know they'll say, well, we're just trying to help you out. No, they're not. They're not trying to help you out. When you decide you're going to do something, you're going to move forward, there will be some problems that will come your way. Sixth and last, perceive our reward. Listen to what he says, Nehemiah says. God is going to give us great success. And then he looks at Tobiah and his buddies, and he says, but you... Will have no part of it. You will not be named among the leaders that rebuilt this wall. Your name will not be praised and exalted because of the life you've chosen to live, but God is going to give us great success. Understand the reward at the end of the day, it benefits the other people. The reproach will be gone, the praise will be back. Revival would come. Perceive the reward. At the end of the day, what keeps us going is when we evaluate the bottom line. If we are reasonably successful, what's the outcome? Because when it's raining and you think it's not going to work, when you understand what the outcome is, you won't quit. You will stay with it. If I had a dollar for every person I ever heard over the last 20 years, They said to me, you won't be able to get that network to work. You'll never get Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals to break bread together. I remember when we were just starting the network, I'll close with this. We were sitting at Bill Bright's breakfast table, and there was about 10 or 12 of us in his home. And um, and this one guy, uh, his name is Steve, um, he says, that network's not going to work. I said it's not going to work. No. And he said that online training that you're doing that's not going to work either. We launched the online training in 2002. We've been online for 18 years. Almost 19 years. And um, so he said no that online training stuff that's not going to work. I said it's not going to work. And he said no. And I said network's not going to work. He said "No, it's not going to work either. I said why, why is the online training not going to work? I said, I'm just kind of curious. And he was a, a graduate uh, in the northeast from a very sophisticated um, college uh, called Harvard. And I said, Why is that online training not going to work? He said, James, as long as you and I live on this earth, there is not going to be internet in the ocean, oceania, in the island nations of the South Pacific. I said, Really? Well, it's not going to work in the South Pacific. Uh, he said, It's not going to work. He said. He said, just mark it down. You think this is going to be global, but it's not going to be global. It's going to take a long time for that to happen. And I looked back at Steve. I said, Steve, can I respond to that? And he said, sure. And by the way, he was sharing all that to try to cause Dr. Bright to doubt what was going on. But Dr. Bright didn't doubt. He, he, he saw the picture, the big picture. And so uh, I said, Steve, I said, you know when they, when they launched that rocket to go and put it on the moon in 1969? And I said, you know, they did do that, don't you? He said, yeah, they did that and I said, you know, it doesn't matter how good your rocket is if you can't project where the moon's going to be when the rocket gets there. I said, you can know a lot, but if you can't make that visionary projection, I said, it doesn't matter how good your rocket is. doesn't matter how good your people are if you can't make a projection where the moon's going to be. I said, we're just launching the network. I said, however, the Internet's going to be everywhere. Last week, I was on a Zoom call with my dear friend, Suliasi Karulo in Fiji. Crystal clear video content. And every time I get an email from Samoa or, or some of those little islands down there, I laugh and I say, Steve, you didn't understand where the moon would be. And all you had to do was just throw the negative stuff out there. You need to realize... God has called us to be successful. Find it, follow it, finish it. That's God's plan.